The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? John, I'm doing great as always, and looking forward to another exciting week with JPWA. Nice. Now, how has everything been going with you? I know you were just in Altoona, PA for a, a big, a big, uh, I guess, seminar and some shows over there. Yeah, well, it, it, I, I had a two-day seminar with uh, Mike, K, uh, they call him Kato, his name is Ken, Ken, pardon me, let me try that one more time, Ken, the head trainer with Imagine Wrestling, and of course, uh, Braden, who's Mike's son, and uh, yeah, I had a great time, two days, we had, I believe, Oh, gosh, close to 20 people both days. It was, uh, I, I believe, very informative, and they left with a new perspective of what it's like to be in ring shape, which is always eye-opening and and um, revealing at the same time. They got to taste the uh, man-in-the-middle drill both days. Oh, yeah, wow. So, yeah, and, and the key to that is, real quick, let me if I can dive into this. Uh, right now, before we get too far along, the the only key to to the man in the middle drill is learning how to relax and uh, taking your time. You know, you, if if you read too much into it, thinking about how fast you need to go and and uh, concerning yourself with stuff that really isn't necessary at the time, just um, uh, you you'll be fine. But the the Reason reasoning behind doing this, in my opinion, is repetition. So it just becomes second nature to you. And if you do it uh, enough times, you can do it long enough, it will become second nature to you. I believe it was either Dolph Ziggler or his brother wrote to you on Twitter not too long ago something about the man in the middle drill. I don't know if he was speaking about it fondly or or not. Was that my correct? Did one of them message you something about the the man in the middle? Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if it was or not um, because I get uh, people will text me about it uh, more than more than uh, you know and, and more than once in a while. So uh, I don't know, but I I don't think uh, either Ryan or Nick really 
um, were bothered too too much with it because both were in excellent shape. So, uh, but but I know Miro didn't like it, but that's okay too because he's still a good guy. You talking about? Did you say Miro? As in Miro? Yeah, Miro's yeah. in the formerly the talent formerly known as Rusev. Yeah, nice. uh, Miro actually sent us early on a recommendation along with a picture to put on our wall, and he said uh, on the picture or on the uh, endorsement he wrote, "Watch out for man in the middle." And then Sheamus came to visit us last year, as you know, and mm-hmm. his uh, Celtic Warrior workout, and he. <laughs> We were sitting on the ring talking and filming, and he said, uh, now, Miro told me to tell you hello, but he also said uh, he hated man in the middle. What do you think that is? And I I wasn't too sure why I thought that was, but my suspected guess would be that it's, it can be difficult, and it can be um, hard because being in cardiovascular shape is uh a complete different story than being in ring shape. And especially in that hot Tampa sun, with no air conditioning, kind of like it is here in Knoxville, I mean, if you're not breathing and you're not relaxing, it can catch up to you. So that could have had something to do with it. And uh, some guys like that. I've I've had some people go uh, close to 90 minutes, and, and I've had some people go close to the two-hour mark. And um, uh, they, they, they've either learned how to uh, relax by about, 45 minutes in, or they haven't. And um, uh, just by the sheer will and goading by myself and, and prodding, not, I wouldn't browbeat anybody into it, but I certainly would give them, uh, give them the opportunity to stop if they wanted to. And um, I think they, they all wanted to prove a point, and some did, and some didn't. So I'm not quite sure, but I do know it's uh, there are two different things between being in uh, being able to go two hours on a bike or an hour on a bike than it is uh, to go an hour in the ring. Yeah, that is so interesting. Maybe uh, you know, maybe he just didn't like all that cardio. That could be it. You know, maybe uh, you know Ziggler is is in great shape and he's in great shape too. But maybe just a different kind of shape. It's it's most definitely a different kind of shape. And and some guys enjoy that type of workout. Some guys. Uh, uh, really are drawn to it and thrive on it. And other guys want to uh, uh, do other things, which is all great. But once again, the the idea behind man in the middle isn't necessarily to blow you up, but it is to get you in shape. And it's also to get you to where it, it becomes second nature, where you don't have to think about things when things go awry in the ring. And if you're in this, uh, uh, for any length of time, things aren't going to go perfectly every single time. So you have to know how to react, and and that's what this is. I've also done <laughs> done man in the middle, where I've changed the the routine, I've changed the the spot, I've changed the move, and and just to see how how it is. If you're listening, are you relaxed enough to? Uh, be able to adapt and just slow down. Even though I call it out, doesn't mean you have to do it right away and as fast as you possibly can. That's not the idea behind it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, some people enjoy that part of it and others don't. But uh, once again, the basics and fundamentals never go out of style. And this is just a basic fundamental uh, professional wrestling drills. Amateur wrestling drills are a hell of a lot tougher than, well, I don't know if they're a hell of a lot tougher. They're certainly different. Um, and I would certainly say they're tough, but this is, this is one 
that if you've never done it and uh, you're not quite sure what to expect, um, then then it can sure uh, it take its toll on you. So that that's uh, that's the theory I think behind why some of these guys don't particularly care for it. Now, as far as kind of getting out there and doing it, are you getting out there and doing it yourself still, or is this mostly the guys doing it? It is mostly the guys doing it. I've done my man-in-the-middle drills. I've done my one-hour time limit draws. I've I've done it, and these days, quite honestly, uh, no, I'm I'm not doing it. I haven't done it in a while with these guys. Not to say that I won't, not to say that I can't. I, I, I truly believe that the mind is the the strongest muscle we have, and and if I needed to do it, uh, needed to show them, I'm not saying that I can't. Um, I'm certainly not saying that I I can, but I'll definitely tell you I will if if need be, and I will get through it, and I'll show you how how you can breathe and take your time. But I, I haven't found it necessary yet, or deemed it necessary. Let me say that. Because uh, I'm in a I'm I'm in a different place uh, than a 20 or 25 year old guy is or gal who comes to train with me. I've I've got some uh, miles on me. I've got some things on me, and um, uh, I I have to choose my bumps and my moves and my uh, uh, ring time judiciously at this time. Man, I've got a match. Yeah, thank goodness it's a six-man match, but it's a six-man tag match coming up with uh, D'Lo Brown, Tony Atlas, and myself against the Brothers of Seduction, uh, Jake Jake Tucker, the Mother Lover, Cam the Prince, and Dylan McQueen, September 26th in Jackson, Tennessee, on the Jerry Lawler 50th uh, anniversary show. So... Knowing that, um, I, I realize, you know, it's not. I, I've got to do something in that match, so I'm going to save my bumps. I'm going to save whatever I've got left in the tank uh, when I have to use it. Interesting. Dr. D. David Schultz recently told me he wants to know why he's not booked on that show. <laughs> <laughs> because he, I guess he lives, I guess, in Jackson, Tennessee or somewhere in that area, he want, he was like, "Hey, how come I'm not putting that show?" Well, maybe he didn't call Bert. I mean, I I wanted to be on the show, quite honestly. I mean, Jerry Lawler uh, is is a legend in the business, and I uh, I've worked with Lawler many times in Memphis, and and uh, I've worked the Memphis territory many times, and I I put the word in Bert's ear, Bert's ear, uh, just saying I would love to be a part of the card and he, he made it happen. So that's, that, that's one of those things that, uh, Dave would have to call and ask Bert about, but he's already got, he's got so much talent on that show and he's got so many people who want to be a part of it. It's kind of hard to fit everybody on it. And I, I asked early enough that, uh, thank goodness, uh, I do have a spot, but, but once again, I, it just goes back to uh, how 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 much uh, effort do you want to put out to be on the card? You know what you have to do. You've got to contact the guy who's, who's making the arrangements and say, hey, is there any way I could be on this thing and, and see what happens. Is there any heat with him and Lawler, maybe? Maybe that's the... You never know. I, I don't... I don't 
have a clue, but there, there's always a possibility you have heat with somebody and you don't know about it. Happened to me many, well, once or twice through the years. But that's if you if you stay in this long enough, you're gonna you're gonna have heat with somebody at one time or another, unless you're Bobby Eaton. <laughs> True. And I just find it interesting that you're getting you know back in the ring and you're gonna have uh, it won't be a six man tag, but you're getting back in there still wrestling. I love it. Well. Look, I'm not I'm not fooling myself. I'm not going to try and fool anybody else. You know, I'm uh, Ricky Morton is is five years or four years older than I am, and uh, he he's still getting in there doing Canadian destroyers, and he still loves every minute of it. And that's and I, and I still love being around the business. I still love uh, helping, teaching, and and coaching. I think that's more uh, what I enjoy these days rather than traveling up and road uh, up and down the road getting in the ring with people I don't know and quite honestly don't trust to to lock up with and uh try anything new with so um I I love it I really do and and I know it ain't yesterday no more it's a country song it ain't yesterday no more but at the same time it's still when you go to something like this, it's still going to be professional wrestling, and I'm going to get a chance to see some of the guys that grew up with in the business and grew up watching in the business. So uh, it, it's still exciting for me to do stuff like that. It's still exciting to uh, be around the guys who knew what it was like when uh, way back when, and and when it was a whole different attitude, a whole different genre, a whole different culture, inside and out of the world. So um, I dig it, man. I really do. And I'm looking forward to it. Now, changing gears to the topic at hand, and that is the Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle. I wanted to talk to you about him because in the early days of the show, we were talking about training Vince, training The Rock, training Shane McMahon. We talked a little bit about Mark Henry, but we never really got into Kurt Angle. So when was kind of the first time you met Kurt Angle, and where did you meet him? Uh, I met the uh, studios in Stanford, TV studios, 120 Hamilton Avenue. And um, uh, what a great guy. Had a great attitude right off the bat. Uh, did not strike me as a fellow who who uh, he, he was very – confident but did not have to prove anything to anyone he was courteous he was uh, uh a very nice guy and you don't always you don't always expect that and i wasn't quite sure what to expect at that day and at that time i wasn't really uh expecting one way or another with whoever came through there because we had we had quite a lot of guys who came through there um in fact, real quick, there was a guy, the Russian guy, who, oh, I can't remember his name now, and I think he might have made one appearance on Raw, but he'd made some movies. He did some movies with, well, I went blank, but I wasn't sure what to expect with him, too, and he was kind of bland and kind of uh, very straightforward about how tough he was. Kurt uh, didn't have to prove it because everyone knew he won the gold medal. Everybody was ecstatic to have him there and he never came across like a jerk he never came across uh, uh like he was better than everyone else he didn't have to i i think he everyone gave him the respect um he'd already earned it 
But but once you when you once you've done something outside professional wrestling and then you come inside the wrestling business, you have to prove it all over again that you're worthy of respect from the boys and and it's a different atmosphere, a different uh, vibe altogether too. And Kurt was up for that. Kurt was uh, uh, went right into the mix, and I've told this story many times before. The first time I locked up with him, before we locked up, I looked at him and said, Kurt, I have nothing to prove here, and I'm not going to try anything, so please don't do anything back, and don't hurt me. And he didn't, and when we locked up, he, he locked up like a pro right from the very beginning. Uh, so that was that was refreshing in a way because uh, that told me he got it, and he did. He was, uh, you know, I think now, at this time, you know, he had already had had an offer prior to coming in training with me, and he turned it down. And then once he figured out, uh, you know, you couldn't uh, eat the gold medal, and and you had to, you had to make a living. I think he he finally figured out, wow, this this would be kind of cool. He could learn how to get into it, uh, have fun with it. And still stay uh, still stay active, working, uh, be an athlete, go to the gym every day. You know, I, I'm not sure if he recognized at that time how brutal the road could be, but um, I think he also approached it as everybody else who who got into the business back then as as a new adventure. And he always struck me as that. He was smooth, uh, didn't mind hard work. Never said no, and um, <laughs> uh, was a gentleman at all times. I, as a matter of fact, I think we, we used to do these shows in. Uh, I want to say New Hampshire, up around the Connecticut uh, border for Mike Sparta. Do you remember Mike Sparta? The WWA shows were they WWA shows? I think from Mike, Mike Sparta and who? What was his brother's name? Um, gosh, it's been so long, but I remember Mike and, and I believe when we were doing the funking dojos, Mm -hmm. uh, that was Kurt's first match. And I had his very first match on TV. I think it was someone else, but, uh, but I had his first match on those funking dojo shows and he was, my gosh, he was a natural and you can say that about guys when you get in the ring and they get it, and Kurt got it, um, and he just developed from there. He was he was a likable guy, and uh, once again, he didn't have to prove anything. He proved it when he got in the ring and and, sh- and showed everyone that he wanted to work, that he wanted to uh, to be taught and wanted to wanted to be be great, and he did. The WWE was Mike Sparta, like you said, and Fred Sparta. Fred Sparta, yes, yes, yes. Okay, Mike and Fred. Well, uh, so yeah, he we did a few a few shows along those uh, uh, around that time when when uh, Dory was was coming up. Dory Funk Jr. was coming up, and and uh, we we started the Funkin' Dojos up there too. So um, it was, I, I'm sure, a lot of it was eye opening. Uh, at that time, and as he got along later on and became uh, uh, 
a huge part of the WWE machine and and uh, a more part of the crew and part of what was going on. I I think he was enjoying it even more. So um, yeah, I, I, Kurt had a blast, and I had a blast uh, helping him. What was the kind of structure with Dory Funk? Because obviously, you know, you're a trainer, a quote-unquote head trainer, really, but you got Dory Funk and the Funk and Dojo. So what's like the, um, not the power, but, I mean, who's who's right. like who's really in charge? Well, that was, the way that came about, we started doing the, the training at the studio. And uh, I, I don't know if it was Dory who presented the idea to JR, or which I, it's, it, it, it's more likely that way, or JR sought Dory out. But uh, either way, Dory was coming up, and uh, as a as a former NWA champion uh, and veteran, of course, we're going to call it the Funkin' Dojo. But uh, I don't I don't believe there was one power over the other as far as Dory and I went. He he treated me uh, as, again with respect, and I did did so back and I've always respected Dory Funk Jr. Uh, I grew up watching the Funk family, the entire Funk family, Senior, Junior, and Terry. So uh, Dory was coming in, I think, um, at the behest of JR, and uh, it worked for, I'm not quite sure how many months, and then, as you know, things always change up in Stanford, and uh, they started changing again. So but but during that time it was it was a very cool thing because I, I believe they went oh man I want to say two weeks out of the month um, and then Dory would go home for two weeks I would stay I was based in Stanford so uh, if if anybody was staying over or if we had tryouts uh, I was there and. Um, but but it was it was a great system, you know. We we had a bunch of guys coming in, and and giving giving a schedule, giving structure, and uh, Dory would uh, do his thing. I'd do my thing, but we all worked together, and especially uh, with those long days, it it really helped because um, Dory was still getting in the room with those guys too. So was I. And it was a great trade-off, you know. Here you had the uh, the the former NWA champion when the NWA meant something. You held the title for four years, and oh, you know the the, the guys who were coming to, going to those camps back then uh, knew who Dory Funk was, and if they didn't, they found out real quick. So it was um, it was great. It was a great deal, especially. Uh, when when Dory come in, we, we'd have fun. We we had those shows to go to. We'd train for the week. Do the the next week would be shows and uh, had a great crew. Yeah, on different occasions. So when Kurt first comes in and you first meet him, did you know of his Olympic pedigree? Like before he starts training, did you know who he was, or you had no idea? No, I knew. Yeah, because we've been following the Olympics anyway. Mark had come from the Olympic suit. Mark Henry. So yeah, we we were well aware, and uh, uh, this was when, especially the when did he come in? Do you remember what year was ninety seven? Angle was it, about ninety seven, uh, I believe. Okay, when, I think when he started doing his dark matches and uh, different things. I, I think so too. So that was we were still 
pretty pretty new. I I don't I was gonna say I don't think it was ninety six because we started in August ninety six, but ninety seven sounds about right. And um, we had all uh, that was when I think the scouting. WWE's always had scouts out there. I mean, not and they weren't necessarily always called official scouts, but you were always scouting talent and always looking for somebody new and different, unique, uh, being able to capture people's imaginations. But um, Mark Henry was one of the guys from the, from the Olympics that um, you know Vince saw this 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 huge kid with a with a. A, a huge smile that just drew him in, and and Kurt Angle was a guy who, who uh, just had heart, grit, and determination, and you saw it on him, and you felt it with him, and um, he was once again he was genuine and he was authentic. Hell, he's a he's a, a legit wrestler, a legit gold medalist, and uh, contrary to popular belief, amateur wrestling is a damn tough sport. And, uh, I, you know, I, I believe that when Kurt walked through the doors of WWE, um, you may or may not have had some tough guys who thought they could take him, but I, I will guarantee you, uh, that might've been at the bar in a drunken stupor, because if you were stone cold sober, no pun intended, but you'd have to be an idiot. Um, to try and challenge the guy to a wrestling match. I mean, maybe you can get a sucker punch on him, but I don't think there was anybody better at that time uh, than Kurt Angle. And I, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who would uh, argue with me on that. Yeah, so you guys are keeping up with the Olympics, and you know you see him win the, the gold mm-hmm. medal. And Is that one of the things where it's like, okay, the guy could be a natural, it could be great, or it might be harder. Do you ever kind of think like, oh, it might oh, be harder? Yes. yes, 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 yes. Because an amateur wrestler's instinct uh, is not to go on your back and, and not to show pain and not to show that you're hurt. Don't don't ever show uh, your emotions. Don't let him know you have a bad neck. Don't let him know that you're injured. Yeah, that that's the the rule. But and now you're you're trying to get him to do just the opposite of everything that's uh, in, in, instilled in him as an amateur. And you had amateur guys come through the ranks before who just uh, did did not get it. There was an, there was an amateur wrestler in Oklahoma, Ed Carboo Thomas, um, who Bill Watts wanted to cultivate, and Ernie Ladd wanted to make a, a star, but. The guy never grasped it. He could not grasp the showmanship or the the energy and emotional attachment that you have to have, and emotional connection you have to have uh, with the crowd. And uh, also, who knows how to um, get along backstage and and make top guys want to work with you and convince them that you're you're a trustworthy guy in the ring that you're not just going to go out there and half-ass try something cute and and get your way just because you can. And Kurt wasn't that way. Kurt was was fully invested, I think, in this right off the bat. But, yeah, most amateur guys, especially back then, um, just couldn't, couldn't take hold of what this really was and is. And, uh, you know, it was great that they would be able to defend themselves and take care of themselves if anybody wanted to take advantage. It was far and few between, especially especially in the 90s. You know, prior to this, maybe. 
you had some guys who who might get you in a compromising position just to show you and embarrass you and and things like that. You know, Lou Thez was never a a gold medalist, but Lou could handle himself. And if he didn't like you, he would tie you up in in knots and and embarrass you. And uh, he he did that to big names that that you know helped kill their careers. Michelle Leone never recovered when Thez and he had their match in California to, to unify the world championship. You know, Leone was a was a gimmick, and Thez didn't appreciate gimmicks back then, and just ate him alive and, and killed him deader than hell. You know, and Kurt Angle had that capability. If you wanted to tie somebody up and just expose them for what they were, uh, you know that that he could have done it. But but what what's the upside to that? This was about making money. This is about um, connecting with the fans. This is is a far cry from amateur wrestling. And Kurt figured that out right away. And that that was the that was a good thing about him. Now, as far as him getting in there, you're saying he is very coachable and easy to work with? Very much so. Very much so. Um, I Once again, uh, in, in the first match in, again, was it Rhode Island? Where did, where did the WWE run? I don't even remember the towns. Does, so the, it, the first time you wrestled him was in 98 in Salem. Massachusetts. Maybe you're Salem, Massachusetts then. Okay. And then they also ran, you guys had another match in Milford, Massachusetts. Well, okay. That, that, that's, that's a possibility. But but we we went out and uh, the first thing somebody told me was, because this was, when did he make his debut on Raw? Or oh, I believe, anyway. I believe it was Survivor Series 99 when he actually made his okay. actual, like, in-ring debut okay. on TV. On TV, that is. Well, I, because I remember somebody coming to me saying, well, just figure a way for you to beat him. And I thought, wait a minute. Hold on here. Stop. Stop. He's a, he's a gold medalist. And um, I, I know I'm okay. I'm pretty good in the ring. I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll go ahead and say, yeah, I could probably carry a guy, but I ain't beating him the gold medalist. Right, <laughs> so, right. So yeah, so we went out there and and we we really didn't call anything in the back. Uh we called the finish and and he was going over. I forgot even what we did for the finish, but I just remember thinking, "Man, there's no way in hell." So, uh that was it. He listened and he was very good. He was as I said a natural. Dory walked out with him in a, in his corner and um you know, the rest is history. He, you, you, you've got to do a lot of things uh, during a match, and, and nobody really thinks about it and, until they they get out there. And and even when you get out there, you shouldn't have to think about it. But that only comes with time. And after after learning uh, over and over and over, um, the more you do this, the more you're going to find yourself in the same. Uh, place in a match, if, if you've done your opening uh, sequence or opening spots or opening um, whatever you want to call it, you, you're going to move on to the middle, and then you're going to have to do something there, and then you got to go to the end. And you have to figure out uh, how it goes and how it flows. And 
the only way to do that is do it. The only way to do that is get out there and have matches. It's like doing a, a 10 minute stand up routine. The only way to do it is do it in front of live people. Yes, this crowd will react this way. The next crowd may not react at all. And that's what Kurt learned. But it does take time. It takes, um, uh, we, we, we can talk about experience all day long, but we can't teach it to you. That The only thing you have to do is go out there and get the experience. And Kurt wasn't afraid of it. He might have been, he might have been nervous on the inside, but he never showed it on the outside. So uh, he, was, he was a true pro from day one. And when he got, got in there with the guys who really understood the business and knew what they were doing, guys like Taker and Austin, uh, and rock and, and cut the promos and vignettes with those guys and had fun with it. That was, that told the story. Uh, you have to have fun with this. It's a lot of hard work, but you have to enjoy the hard work along the climb. And he did. Kurt, Kurt enjoyed uh, the journey. Most, most of the times, the majority of the times, and I'm sure I can't speak for him all the time, but I'm sure there were times when, when, uh, the road was grinding you down because that that'll happen too. It happens to everybody. There, there's I don't think there's one person who's immune to being uh, caught in that grind. And and sometimes you get caught and you're not sure you're even in it until until the world stops one day and you're still spinning. And uh, and it happens to the best of us. But Kurt, for the most part, I think he he got in the groove. He found his groove and uh, proved to everybody that as a gold medalist, um, he, he was he was pretty talented beyond beyond professional wrestling. And he he was one of those guys, especially during that time, that was breathing that rarefied air, and uh, he belonged there, and everybody knew it. So, did you know about Paul Heyman and ECW trying to recruit him for that? They actually brought him into a show, and he kind of was, I guess, not that familiar with professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Thinking like, okay, you know, oh, this is what this is. Oh, wow, you know, this is interesting. And, and then, and then he sees Jesus get crucified. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, I knew all about that, and I, I, I under, I, I, I <laughs> he was appalled, and I, I can understand a kid from Pittsburgh who. Uh, was not familiar with professional wrestling uh, and the way it was being ran that day in those days, uh, not not fully comprehending what it was because in ECW, um, it, it certainly was a, a church when you went to the ECW arena, man, and everybody had their hymn books out and, and they were reading right along with it. And Heyman was conducting the orchestra and, and the choir and, and those guys went out and did their thing. Uh, and when Kurt saw that, I, he, it wasn't Madison Square Garden, Bruno versus uh, Pedro. You know, it was it was the Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, t- uh, Taz, uh, Sabu, I mean, blood, guts. Uh, let's let's put him on a cross. Let's let's cut his head off. Whatever, man. I mean, that that can be a little shocking and a little uh, startling for someone who's never been exposed to anything like that. Who's only been exposed to pure sport, to pure uh, competition, and all of a sudden uh, now you're looking at these wild characters. And I can only imagine if he was backstage just checking that animal house out. I mean, for real, it was like. Um, <laughs> ECW especially was was at that time 
full renegade mode, I think. And that, that was what I, I certainly think was a huge uh, part of their appeal. In fact, the main part of their appeal, that, that the guys were so raw and, and what you saw is what you got. And uh, and the fans were going to a rave, man. It was it was uh, it, it could be a, a, a pretty uh, a pretty stark contrast when when you leave your suburban home and and go to the ECW arena and go, whoa, what is this? Yes, uh, yeah. to say to say the least. So after that happens, who is in the WWF that recruits him in? Is it Jerry Briscoe? Is it Jim Ross? Is it your brother? Who recruits Kurt back into the I, wrestling fold into the WWF? I, I, I'm not for sure on this one, but I think it was probably a combination of all those guys, from JR to Briscoe. Of course, uh, once again, I know Vince and everyone had, had been uh, – looking at the Olympics and, and looking at the athletes and looking at the possibilities. And, uh, of course, Jerry had been um, looking at amateurs, hell, his whole career there. And uh, Bruce was always on the lookout and, and was watching ECW on a regular basis, um, and as was JR. So the the connection with ECW and Paul Heyman could be, uh, a catalyst there too. I don't know for a fact if Paul called and said, "Hey, I have Kurt Angle, the Olympic gold medalist, coming down to the arena, and uh, we're going to give him an, an introduction." Uh, and what do you guys think? I, I don't know if that's how it worked, or if Vince or the rest of the crew just said, uh, "See if he's interested." I know they offered him a, a deal and. And the famous story is Kurt says, yeah, but I can't lose. I'm a gold medalist. And I hmm. think, you know, Vince uh, looked at him and said, well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. And that's not the way it works. So then when he called back, he asked if the deal was still on the table. And then they said no. And he had to work his way back up. But 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 I think that just uh, speaks volume for Kurt's character and uh, talent for being able to come in and not only um, prove himself, but surpass any expectations that anyone had. He, he came in, took to it, uh, you know, went through, went through the initiation everyone goes through and everyone goes through a different style of initiation coming to WWE, WWF at that time. Uh, you, you just, you learn the system, you learn the ropes, you learn how things are done, how things aren't done, and you find out uh, who's going to give you uh, advice and and steer you on the right path. And uh, he did. He found those people. He found that way, and uh, it, it worked. It worked pretty damn well for him, I think. So with kind of Kurt coming in. What was like the developmental looking like? I know we kind of talked about it a little bit with with The Rock, and at this point, what does developmental look like? I mean, is, is it a little bit more upscale? You guys got better equipment, better rings. Like, how is it looking now compared to when you had it with The Rock? No, we, we when we were still doing uh, training in the, in the studio, and uh, once again, the studio hated us because when we bumped, it would bleed over to the voiceovers and and anything else they were doing. 
So um, they had to find a place for us, and probably about this time, and I'm, I'm horrible right now with dates and years and things like this, but I do know that, G- that Jim Cornette was still there for a little bit, and um, I, I believe he had gone down to Louisville for a vacation, stopped by OVW, saw Danny Davis, Rip Rogers, and those guys, and he saw the possibility of uh, making making that a developmental territory, the OVW down in Louisville. And uh, so before that, though, we we just stayed in the studio up until the time that uh, you know we were sending some guys to Memphis. I remember that, and then Brett was taking uh, some guys up up at his house. Uh, he had a ring by his pool in the house and he, he would take some guys up there too and kind of put him in that environment. And once again, everything is a test in the business and, and you would go here maybe, and then you might go to Memphis and then you might go to Canada and, and the guys might be asking, why are you sending me up here? What are we doing? What is it? What is this about? And well, things like that, it, it, it's about, seeing where your head's at, where's your character at, where's your passion, what what are you willing to do, are you willing to go through some hardship, are you willing to take a risk, are you willing to to go to Louisville, um, like the big show was, the big show went to Louisville, and the instructions Danny Davis got was, make him puke, get him in shape. He needs ring time, he needs to get in there and bust his ass, and Danny made him puke. And, um, but, but, you know, we, we were still doing it for us, uh, in the studio up until that time. And, uh, we, we made do with what we had. We had a great gym in the office, uh, at Titan Towers. And, and then we'd eat lunch at the, you know, they have a great cafeteria still in the office and everything was right there. We really had, had a, had a bubble, if you would. You know, some of the guys lived down um, down Main Street or down Hamilton Avenue or down whatever street the, the apartments were on. I lived downtown Stanford, and we were happy with the equipment we had. Quite honestly, I was happy to be there. But eventually, I think the the studio was glad when uh, Cornette talked Jr. into moving the uh, the system down to Louisville and then Cincinnati with Les Thatcher. Uh, because it was away from from uh, from them, and they didn't have to worry about our our noise anymore, and our uh, you know going in and asking for matches. Because we, we would we would watch matches too, and they, I don't believe they really minded pulling up anything out of the the library. But at the same time, somebody had to take time away from their job to do it, and that, and the studio was running twenty four seven even back then, you know. So. Uh, but no, I don't think anything necessarily improved. I think we just stayed on an even keel and, uh, kept getting guys up there. Um, even, even when OVW was happening, we still would get guys up there for the occasional tryouts or week tryout, one day tryout, whatever it may be. It was, it was a cool way to, to do things back then, but that was back then. So how long did it take him to go from training till actually in the ring for the WBA for his first match? Gosh. Uh, 
see, I don't, I don't recall, but I don't believe it was that long because they were really interested in getting Kurt on the fast track. I know that. And he, again, was taking to it. The only thing, but this is with everyone, it's just finding yourself, finding who you are, finding how to, how to act and react when you, when you walk out and what you should do in the ring. And it's, it's the simplest uh, answer in the world. What do you do when you walk out? What do you do when you get in the ring? Be yourself. Come from the heart. Be genuine. Be authentic. If it's a little wooden right now, okay, that's because you're a little wooden right now, and you're in some new environment. You're not sure how to act or react. And um, I, I know they wanted him to get out there ASAP, but I'm not really quite sure. I don't really remember the time frame that we went from the time we started training uh, until we had our first match. But I do know that it was. It was long enough that when we got in the ring, he was comfortable with me. I don't remember him ever being stiff or ever not listening or ever not knowing how to react. Uh, you know, sometimes when you give a, a guy a knee in the stomach, in the corner, and the reason I say that is because I have a picture of me giving Kurt a knee in the stomach, in the corner. Some people don't don't know how to react to that. Kurt reacted naturally. Kurt reacted um the way you should, the way you would. And, and that's, that's the precedent. And that's what pretty much, uh, sets you apart when you go out there is do you, do you react naturally right off the bat? Do you, does it take you time to learn how you should move and, and step and, and lock up? Uh, but Kurt seemed to get, catch on pretty quick. He, he was, he was a fast learner and he was, uh, I'll say it again and again. Kurt Angle was a natural. Technically speaking, his first ever match is versus you, of course, that we were mentioning, in Salem, Massachusetts. You get the win. Is that kind of on the you know curriculum, if you will, the thing like, okay, you guys, when you have your first match in front of people, it's going to be against me? Well, back then it was, but I don't think I got the win ever on Kurt. I, I, they might have it listed that way, but I, and and it could have happened that way. But, but I know that the way I felt when, and if I got a win on him, I, I did it by a screw job because I I just didn't, <laughs> I, I I didn't I don't think I could have pulled it off getting a win on a on a gold medalist is, is the way I was thinking. And I wanted him to have confidence in, in the beginning too. He had confidence already. But the point is, uh the right thing to do was put this guy over and uh he's a gold medalist, damn it. But but yeah, usually in the camp and especially at this time in the beginning, um we would work out with the guys and then I would go on the road as Dr. X uh a lot of times and have the mask on. There, there was a couple times, I will tell you this, there was a couple times where I worked with the mask and without the mask because uh, one of the Bruce brothers, uh, Eli, or, were they, the Blues brothers there? Uh, Eli and Jacob, Don and Ron Harris? Yeah, the Blue brothers, yep. The Blues, okay. Mm-hmm. One of them didn't show up, so I had to work, you know, as a tag partner or, or something like that, which which was fine. But that was, once again, that was that was the role, and I was happy to be in it. Um to go on the go on the road with a lot of the guys who started out and uh, have matches with them on TV. Now, as far as you know, you know who he is. You know he's Kurt Angle, he's an Olympic gold medalist. He's a natural. 
do you train him differently than other guys? Nope. Nope. I do not. And, um, <laughs> funny because, yeah, I've had people ask me, Hey, you know, I'm a lot bigger than most people. Is there a different way I can roll? No. I want you to see if you can do it this way. Then we'll see. Uh, then I'll adjust, but I, I don't. And Kurt never asked to be trained differently. Um, you, you, again, the basics and fundamentals don't change. We might change the way you do them if it doesn't work the way we want you to do them. But not everybody's going to do things the exact same way. Somebody has, Some people have a snap uh, to what they do. Some people have a, um, a, a different vibe or body language is what I'm trying to say. Jack Briscoe threw a great arm drag. It was a natural looking arm drag. Uh, but not everybody can do that. Uh, Ricky Steamboat does. That's, that's mm-hmm. a Ricky Steamboat arm drag. But some people grab a headlock. There, there's, I, I know four variations of grabbing a headlock. Mine, I just pull you in. Other people can make it look so great. Jake Roberts throws a hell of a punch, but it's the Jake Roberts punch. Um, Jerry Lawler does things unique to his body style and body language. Kurt Angle, once you get the basics down, once you get a fundamental idea and have a premise uh, from where you're coming from, if it's not from me, maybe I'll show you somebody who has your body type, somebody that you might relate to then mimic that but i was i won't teach anybody different until i see it that they need to be taught different so in the beginning and i don't recall ever teaching kurt or doing anything differently with kurt that i did with uh then then i did with anybody else is it pretty immediate you could tell i mean obviously you're going to be training for a little bit it has its first match in august of 98 against you but is it immediate you're like okay this guy has the it factor. There's something about this guy. He's going places. Is that something you could tell almost immediately? I will say sometimes, but here's the deal. I thought, uh, here's, here's why I always say, no, you can never tell that the rock was going to be as big as he was as big as he got. You knew he was going to be a star, but, but I don't know if anyone could have said, yeah, he was going to be the biggest star in the world at one time. But I, I thought, at one time, because I had been working out with him for, gosh, I think it was six weeks because I was in the office and uh, J.J. and Bruce asked me about Occam Albrecht. And I said, man, he's really coming along. He, he's getting it. He's still obviously very green. But uh, I got to say, we've had a really good couple weeks, and I think he's getting it. And then I went on the road with him and just to prove that I was right. Ooh, horrible, bad. And he never caught on. But he, he, we were having great practices for a couple of weeks there because we were doing stuff over and over and over. And we were spending three hours at a time in the ring, just him and me. Uh, this was when I think Mark had his leg broke. Whenever Mark broke his ankle, that it was during that time. So I want to think it was six weeks into training. And we were we were going hot and like I would say two to three hours in the ring where you both our shirts are are soaked. We change shirts, then we soak it again, sweat. And it's like, man, it was killing me. But at the same time, once he relaxed uh, after a good hour in the ring, then then we could do something. But but that was in training when we got out on the road. You have to apply that. You you got to apply the same same thinking, the same mindset. You got to relax, and uh, it's hard to relax when you got seven minutes and you, you got to tell a story. 
you know, having an hour to warm up and get get a good sweat going, then you go another two two hour, another hour and a half, two hours, whatever it may be that day. Um, you know, it didn't translate. So, yes, in a way, I, I can say this guy's going to be uh, a big star if he has the look, he has the aptitude and and attitude. But at the same time, um, you're not always right. I'm not always right. But, I, but but thank goodness I have been right more times than I've been wrong. Absolutely right. So with him, you know, he's going to end up going all over the place, going to Memphis, going to be traveling with, you know, the, the guys doing the house shows. Um, he'll be doing some dark matches. But it's so interesting that some of the guys, like as he's progressing through his time in WWF, so it's like, okay, um, you're going to do a dark match against Owen Hart. It's like, okay, that's, you know, that, that's pretty damn cool. Okay. So a uh, house show in 99 – two in a row, he's going to wrestle Terry Taylor. So it's just like, wow, they're really trying to get, you know, all the, the guys yourself, Terry Taylor, Owen, guys that are known for being good workers. Are they really trying to make sure that he's being handled correctly and right? Or is this just a normal thing that those guys would normally be working with rookies? I, I think it was probably a normal thing uh, with rookies because everyone's giving, given an opportunity. And unless somebody comes to Vince and says, hey, I want to work with this guy, and, and, and maybe someone did. But uh, chances are uh, you would look down the, the roster and see who is that guy, who's your utility guy, who's that technician, who's the guy that can get the most out of this guy, whatever that is. Whatever the most this guy has, who's going to get it out of him? And I think Owen and uh, Terry Taylor are perfect candidates for that. Um, so they know their role, they know what they're looking for, and they know uh, how to talk to him in the ring, giving him every opportunity to listen and uh, then demonstrate that he can execute as well. And then he'll come back and tell the agent how he did in the ring. And that's how, how we did it back then. So I, I'm sure they're still doing it the same way today because, uh, of course, when you have, again, a gold medalist, a guy who, who's a valuable commodity, has a name, who's a legitimate athlete, why in the world would you not want him to progress and, and be a star? And you want to put him in there with guys who understand that, who who get it, have the right attitude for it, who understand if if they can get this guy over, it gets them over, even more so. Because when they see how good this guy looks, they understand it ain't him doing it. It's it's the guys like Owen and Terry that were doing it. So interesting to me that he debuts kind of basically, like we said, in August of 98, but doesn't make his WWF on-screen debut until November of 99 at Survivor Series. He beats Sean Stasiak. It's just interesting to me, like, is that a normal kind of progression for the guys, or are they making sure that because they know they have something in him that they're going to make sure they handle him with kid gloves and, and like, put him on TV debut him on a pay-per-view when he's ready. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I certainly think it, it's one of those things that you want to make sure he's definitely ready. He's been in the big arenas. He's been around the crowds. He's been around the boys. He's kind of got a little more comfort uh, zone for him. And I certainly think with someone like that, you want to put him on the road first before he makes his debut on TV. So uh, he gets used to the crowds. He get, gets used to the WWE fans. And, you know, here you have a guy who is uh, mom, pop, apple pie, USA. Here's a, a, a legitimate 
hero, a legitimate athlete, gold medalist in the Olympics. He is such a white meat baby face that, oh, my goodness, they are going to boo him out of the building. And, you know, in the back of your mind, knowing how uh, the wrestling fans of that day were, a lot of people understood that, but you still had to let him go through that phase because that's who he was. Once again, you couldn't just come out and be a full-blown heel because that's not who he was. But it was like The Rock. The Rock was that smiley, cute, you know, hey, look at me, baby face, good-looking kid, comes out and people are, are, are realizing he's being rammed down their throat. But the point is, that was part of the evolution, and that was part of the, the real feelings and part of the, uh, uh, I overuse this word, but I have to, it's authenticity of who this guy was. When Rock came to us, he was a genuine smartass. He was an entertaining, genuine smartass. I didn't, wasn't vindictive. He just liked making jokes. I can appreciate that because it makes the time go by so much better, and the guy had a great attitude. He had talent. Kurt, pretty much the same way. He, you, could, you could joke with him. Uh, he was engaging. You could converse with him. But when you go out in, in front of a crowd and they're telling you how great, you, how, telling everyone how great you are, eventually people are going to start resenting it because you are that great. And, and you can rub their face in the mat. And, and it's like, boo, boo, boo. Well, okay, same thing with Rock. Uh, they'll turn, turn you heel and then you'll earn their respect all over again, and it'll flip back to the other side. So um, I, I think it, it was a matter of just letting Kurt go out and evolve the way it naturally should organically, and and not only in front of the crowd, not only in front of the cameras, but in the back with everybody so they could uh, get to know him and get to know what kind of uh, what kind of guy he really is. Um, because it does translate what you do in the ring and in the back and, and all the way around. It, 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 really, it really is uh, a 24-7 job, and, and you have to love this because, um, as I said earlier, it is a grind at times, and the grind can certainly wear anybody down. So do you ever think, like, okay, just like we talked about with The Rock, like, all right, this guy can be not like a huge star, seeing being like, okay, this guy's going to be WWE Hall of Famer, which he obviously was. But do you ever like sit there and think like, okay, he's definitely going to be a world champion or this guy has, has a good pedigree. I think we could build him as a top star. Well, no, I, I, I believe the, the plan all along uh, without even writing it down or without even, uh, saying it out loud, just thinking it. Why wouldn't you make this guy world champion? He has right. all the credentials in the world. And I think that just kind of fell in line with with logical thinking uh, with whoever's booking at that time. Um, why wouldn't you want this guy? He he is he's the real deal. He is legit. It's like Lesnar. You know, why wouldn't he be the world champion? It's It, it makes perfect sense. Uh, the old way of thinking years ago was you don't want to make somebody as dominant as a Lesnar, the world champion, because then people wouldn't believe anybody could beat him. Well, 
you know, the lines of thinking have changed, obviously, through the years. But, uh, you know, the world champion should be the guy that nobody can beat. And when he does get beat, well, that just makes the guy who beat him uh, even more legit. So, yeah, I think the the line of thinking all along, barring injuries, was to make Kurt world champion at some time, at some point, as as they did many times. To me, I always think of, like, if you make your debut at Survivor Series, I don't know, it feels like they have big plans for you. Undertaker, Angle, The Rock. You know what I mean? It always seems like, okay, like, yeah. they probably have some big plans for you. It just seems to work out that way. Yeah, and and I'm sure I'm sure it does. Um, there's, there, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of elements going to that, and, and I'm not, uh, I'm not so sure they're as complicated as everybody wants to make it. And it's one of those things that you have talent and you have to decide uh, where do you see this going? And, and it is calculated to a point uh, debut you on survivor series and uh, see how you're taken in and, uh, go from there, but every night was a test. Every night is a test. So uh, you know they, they can light the fuse, and then it's up to the talent to uh, keep it lit and keep it running and keep it going. And that takes uh, there. There's where not only the physical strength and energy come from, but the mental part of this is is probably even more um, devastating at times because you have a great idea and you know where you want to go and, and you, you try and pitch it and sell it and, and uh, somebody else has a better idea in their mind, you know? So that, that's where the, the manipulation and the learning how to work uh, backstage comes into play. And, and for that part of it, I believe you really need to have uh, some top generals and some top agents or whoever it might be, um, who has influence on your side. And Kurt made those connections, and Kurt had the talent to back it up once uh, his pitches were were bought and and he sold them. So what do you think is his legacy? Obviously, you know, WWE Hall of Famer, multiple-time world champion, had an amazing run in TNA wrestling, had an amazing run in the WWE. What's his legacy, you think? Certainly one of the greatest uh, pro wrestlers of all time. Certainly in the top ten. Uh, and I say that because he did make the transition from amateur wrestling to professional wrestling. But not only that, he made the transition from being a gold medalist uh, into professional wrestling, into becoming the world champion, um, and many, many other titles, and he, he was a, an ambassador for the sport of both amateur wrestling and professional wrestling. He's respected by both amateur and pro. Uh, so I certainly, I certainly would think, and that, that this is, this, it's a crowded, crowded list, but I, I would say Kurt would have to be in, in the top 10, if not definitely the top 15 or 20 wrestlers, uh, for the past, my goodness, however, how long has he been? 20 years? 30 years? No, because he started in 96, 
or 97. Anyway, yeah, I, I think his legacy is going to be fine. I think he's going to be one just of the top. Just over 20 years. Yeah, just over 20 years. So, I mean, yeah, top 10, 15 at most, uh, one of the top wrestlers. Um, I, I, I hate to say of all time because we're not – of all time hasn't happened yet, but certainly in the last 20 years. So I think that is an absolute great stopping point. I think it's great to know that – you not only trained Vince and Shane and, and The Rock, but Kurt Angle as well. Some of the all-time greats and some of the biggest names ever in the history of the business. And that's why I think you should check out Dr. Tom's book, A Pro Wrestling Curriculum, Advice, Suggestions, and Stories to Help the Aspiring Pro Get to the Next Level. If he trained all those big names, you think he may be able to help you. So, Dr. Tom, where can they get this awesome book? You can get my book at Amazon.com. Just type in Dr. Tom Pritchard's book, or you can also uh, send $25 to my PayPal. It is uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard at AOL.com, and I will send you a personally signed autograph book, um, whichever way you want to do it. Also, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. You can check out the JPWA store, or you can check out the Dr. Tom Purchase store. they got a great shirt, Wanted, Dead or Alive, that I love. You can also check out the JPWA on the website. That is JPWrestlingAcademy.com. And I know, Dr. Tom, you can follow him at uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard on Twitter. You can follow me at Two Man Power Trip. And I know you've got some big stuff coming up, including a big camp, I think it's all the way in December, but AML camp with uh, Ricky Morton, C.W. Anderson, Preston Quinn, who's a buddy of mine, who I actually, when I made my foray into independent wrestling not that long ago into managing, he was my most successful client. And he was a great guy to manage, such a great professional. So you're going to have a great time with my boy PQ, Preston Quinn. But, you know, this is going to be cool. Get uh, Ricky Morton, C.W. Anderson, Preston Quinn, and you uh, all doing this huge camp. What what are the dates real quick on those, John? Do you know? Is it the fourth, fourth, fifth, and sixth? Okay, good, good. That's a Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, then, right? Because or is it or third? I know. Let's see here. Now I got to check my calendar. I have to check my calendar. (laughs) Uh, December fourth, fifth, and sixth. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, well, I'm looking at, oh, that's the 21st. I'm 2021. Never mind. That's why I was looking at the wrong calendar. Yes, 4th, 5th, and 6th. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. Uh, Ricky and um, uh, C.W. Anderson, uh, some other guys, Josh Gary, I believe, is on there. Some mm-hmm. other people, too. Yeah, it's going to be a cool, cool time um, right at the 1st of December, and I'm looking forward to it. Winston-Salem is a great place. AML is uh uh, a place where young guys are going, trying their stuff out. And, um, you know, again, with everything going on in the world today, nobody knows how this thing's going to end up. But uh, the cool thing about this is guys are continuing to train and guys are continuing to to tr- make an effort to get better when it does open up and, and gets back to whatever – Whatever normal is, whatever normal will be from now on. But uh, it's always great when I get together with with some old friends and make some new ones too. And it's always great when I get to see people who are are, or who are as passionate about professional wrestling. And the great thing about um, the the schools I've been to uh, over the 
over the last couple months and, and some of the people I've talked to, man, everybody can't wait to start back up. And everybody can't wait uh, to get back in the ring and train and learn and get better. So, yeah, we'll, and we'll talk about this more as it goes on and, uh, yes. and let everybody know. Awesome. Good stuff. Great stuff again from Dr. Tom. And I'd like to thank everybody for joining us this week for Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.